Hello, welcome to this edition of Appalachian Shine. This is the official podcast for the Foundation for Appalachian Advancement. I'm J.C. Swingruber. I'm one of the directors and I'm a board member here at the Foundation. And we want to thank you again for tuning in to another episode of Appalachian Shine. <clears throat> We're excited to have this podcast and uh, to be able to shine a light on so many different things here in the in the region. Um, so many amazing things going on, so many amazing artists. I know it's kind of a weird year here in 2020 so far with the pandemic, but um, hopefully at some point we'll all get back to normal. We can go out on Friday nights and listen to our local musicians play and entertain us, uh, go out and meet our local artists and authors, and, and have a good time here in Appalachia with what's left of uh, 2020. So here it is, July 23rd, and I uh, wanted to uh, just kind of point out a couple things here, talk about a little uh, a little bit of Appalachian history. Uh, we've talked about so many times on other episodes. We're so rich with history here and so rich with so many things to do thanks to the the beautiful mountains and this atmosphere and this location that we're so blessed to be in. So uh, one, one of the history, doing some history um, research, and uh, I've kind of written about this in the past, but you know, last time on the, uh, the last uh, episode, we talked about uh, Lord Dunmore's War and all of the different uh, historical road markers that, we, that I've, I've passed and I talked with uh, Dr. Ernie Binko about these things. And uh, we, we talked about some really interesting history on Lord Dunmore's War. Um, this week I wanted to talk about, um, just a couple of different, uh, well, one, a particular location, uh, that's well worth visiting if you're a hiker, if you're on the Appalachian Trail. And if you're a hiker out there and you're listening to this and, and, and you've hiked the Appalachian Trail, we'd love to hear some stories about your, your time on the trail too. Um, so definitely uh, drop me an email, jc at supportappalachia.org. We'd love to hear your story on, uh, one of our podcasts. But one of the one of the coolest stories uh, right here in Central Appalachia that that I found very fascinating, um, you know, being a member of a nonprofit and those of you that work in nonprofits out there, you you love the, uh, the feeling you get when you get an opportunity to pay your own blessings forward, and that's what a lot that's what this nonprofit is all about is like paying it forward and recognizing those amazing people who have done the same um, in, in such a, a wide scale on a big scale here in Central Appalachia in the past. And I want to talk about the story of Mary Breckenridge. And some of you are going to hear this and you're going to know exactly who Mary Breckenridge is. If you're in East Tennessee, you probably do, or East Kentucky, I'm sure you do. Um, Mary Breckenridge, um, the story of, of her service and dedication to helping children and families in Appalachia is truly legendary. Mary Breckenridge was not a native of Appalachia. She was from Memphis, Tennessee, in fact, and she trained in uh, nursing in New York in 1910 before she moved to London, England, uh, to study advanced uh, midwife training. So Mary followed this path because of her passion for helping children. And this passion was really basically born out of tragedy for her. She was widowed when her first husband uh, died suddenly, and then later she married a man from Kentucky, and they had two children together. Uh, her first child, as a girl named Polly, was born prematurely, and she unfortunately died. And her second child, a son, he died at the age of four due to appendicitis. You can imagine how terrible this, you know, this tragedy is to her. So, in the early part of the 20th century, uh, for every thousand births in America, a hundred babies died within the first year. This was new to me when I was when I was reading about Mary Breckenridge. I had no idea the death rate was that high. The rate was even higher in Appalachia, 
with many family uh, families had to live off the beaten path away from towns and cities. Uh, Health care in the far reaches of these mountains was almost non-existent. So addressing this problem became Mary's life focus. It was her, it was her drive and her passion at that point. Uh, after a time in Europe to help French refugees uh, with medical care after World War I, Mary Breckenridge came back to Kentucky and made Leslie County her home. Uh, this was uh, the time before the coal boom in eastern Kentucky and before there were paved roads and rail transport. So she became a pioneer in, her, in this chosen industry that she picked. And she actually got on horseback and made house calls. Now, with some public support and funding, she invited other nurses from England and Scotland to work with her and hide in Kentucky. And they were able to help countless families uh, with their skills in nursing and midwifery. Just countless families. Uh, imagine that, getting on horseback. It reminded me of that story that I'd heard once before about uh, horseback preachers that would travel out to the far reaches of Appalachia where they didn't have pastors, but they might have had a church. They would travel around and rotate around to make sure that everyone heard the word of God. So Mary, in similar sense, recruited nurses and traveled around Appalachia at a time when there was no such thing as training for midwifery in America. She broke new ground right here in Appalachia. And I find that story absolutely found, uh, fascinating. She actually founded the Frontier Nursing Services in 1925. And nowadays in eastern Kentucky, her name's pretty common, uh, especially around Leslie County. She founded the Frontier Nursing University in Hyden and has a local hospital named after her there. She died in 1965 at, at the age of 84. Uh, she was still, at that time, still leading the Frontier Nursing Services. In the 40 years of service, uh, her nurses delivered over 14,000 babies and treated about 58,000 patients. And she was honored by the U.S. Postal Service in 1998 with a, uh, with a postage stamp uh, as part of the Great American Series of postage stamps. And uh, her life and work right here in Appalachia should, should really be celebrated. Um, you can get more information about Mary Breckenridge uh by following, uh, um, you can go to frontier.edu. That's the hospital there. Uh, there's also uh, another uh, link. It's quite quite lengthy. I'll read it out, but I'll post it on our Facebook page for those who would be interested in reading about it. It's historynet.com slash call-the-midwife-nurses-on-horseback. And keep putting a dash between the words. It's call the midnight, call the midwife nurses on horseback in the Appalachian Mountains. Htn. So you can you can look uh, just or just do a Google search. You'll find so much out there. I found that story fascinating that uh, Mary Breckenridge would come straight here to Central Appalachia and actually and uh, do such a, a magnificent thing. And you can imagine the dangers of you know women alone on horseback traveling throughout the mountains. Um, just to you know, d deliver their important services. Anyway, Mary Breckenridge is a great uh, story, and definitely worth um, following. If you're interested in doing some, uh, actually getting off the beaten path and doing the whole social distancing thing this year, and I'd be honest with you guys, after this year, if I never heard the term social distancing ever again, <laughs> it would be too soon to be honest with you. Um, I'm so tired of that word. 
and I'm sure many of you are out there too. Um, but if you want to get out and do some hiking, find some local trails around where you live. Also, if you want to share those pictures and stories from your local places, definitely contact me. We'd love to talk about these things on the podcast as well. But a lot of people out there every year come here to America, right to Appalachia, to experience the beauty and nature uh, of the Appalachian Trail. So people all over the world, uh, world come to Appalachia to experience this, this raw natural beauty that we have. Uh, they come here to visit relatives and search for adventure in the mountains. So let's face it, you know, Appalachia, right here at our, you know, our neck of the woods, is world famous. Well, sort of. It's well known for many reasons, but one thing that keeps bringing people from around the world to our little piece of heaven is the Appalachian Trail. And uh, completing the entire trail is a feat that even most experienced hikers can't even boast about. And I couldn't even tell you the last time I went any kind of long-distance hiking. I, you know, it's something I did when I was younger, but nothing I've done now. Um, and any time in the last you know, years and years, but some have, and, uh, actually I had a college professor who actually hiked the entire trail, not at one time, but piece by piece. And, uh, but some have, and they've taken the time to write books about their experiences or keep, uh, blogs about each site that they stop along the way. One place that stands out along the Appalachian trail is Blood Mountain and Blood Mountain is the sixth tallest peak in Georgia with an elevation of about 4,458 feet. It's not a hike for those out on a stroll along the AT. Uh, it's a bit over two miles, uh, and it's not for the cat. Well, from what I've read on the, the AT's website, it's not for the casual hiker looking for something easy. So Blood Mountain is a, is a bit of a, a bit of a bit of a slog. Um, so if you're looking for something easy, this is, this is not the one, apparently. So how did Blood Mountain get its name? I was curious about that. Uh, well, there's a couple theories that I, I stumbled upon. Uh, one popular belief is it got its name from the red color of the uh, lichen and catawba uh, grown in the mountain uh, near the summit. Uh, however, there's a more interesting theory about the name. And um, you see, this, this region was actually dominated by two tribes of Indians, uh, the Creeks and the Cherokee. Uh, the Cherokee mythology says that the mountain was one of the homes of the immortals. And I'm going to butcher the pronouncing of this, the pronunciation of this, but the Nunahi, and that's N-U-N-N-E-H-I, if you want to look that up. Uh, they were also referred to as the people who live anywhere. And they were a race of spirit people that lived in the highlands of the old Cherokee country. So according to legend, one of the townhouses uh, was, near, uh, was near a lake, uh, Trilita, that's T-R-A-H-L-Y-T-A, I'm going to butcher that one up too. Uh, they were friendly beings and would bring lost wanderers and hunters back to their townhouses to rest before they guided them back to their homes. Uh, before white settlers came into the region, the two tribes fought a bloody battle for the land in a place called Slaughter Gap, and that's located between Slaughter Mountain and Blood Mountain. Uh, some believe that the mountains got their names because of this battle. So regardless of how the mountain got its name, uh, hikers have enjoyed this part of the trail and through hikers use Blood Mountain Summit Shelter for rest and to regroup before they get back on the trail. And you can find pictures of Blood Mountain and uh, actually the summit online just by doing a quick uh, Google search and, and go under images. But, you know, that's another place on the AT that just one more place that has a you know, unique history and a story behind it. And I thought that was fascinating. I wanted to share that with our listeners today. So we're going to keep it a short podcast today. 
and we want to thank every one of you for stopping by again. Uh, make sure you check us out on Amazon, or not on Amazon, but on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash support Appalachia. Uh, or just doing a search for Foundation for Appalachian Advancement. Or you can find us online at supportappalachia.org. Uh, we certainly do appreciate all the support we get. Um, we do appreciate any donations that you might be able to help out with. All of us are volunteers. None of us are salaried on anything. So the money that you do donate goes to our mission statement. So check us out online and see what you think. And we'd love to have your support. And uh, we look forward to uh, meeting more of you as we get out in public more and more over the next uh uh, rest of the summer, hopefully, as we all kind of filter back out. So thanks again for stopping by, and we'll see you on down the road.